Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 157 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. I know that you are just all going to love today's guest, Jam. She is simply a delight. It is amazing to me to see so much light in her when she is actually only four months after the death of her teenage daughter, Taylor. I don't want to go into too much detail right now because I just simply want you to hear her tell her story. So I'm going to leave it at that. Before we start, though, I do want to tell you that I am scheduling my episodes for our fall and winter. So if you would like to be on the Always Andy's Mom podcast, please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. And know that if you have not received a response back, please just email again. I have been having a little bit of trouble recently as some emails have not come through. So Again, if you've not heard from me, it's because I probably did not get it. So please email me again. So Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y at andysmom.com. Right now, just sit back and enjoy listening to Jam, Taylor's Mom. Thank you so much, Jam, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, we were just talking that you've not been listening really to the podcast too long now. I'm fairly new, probably a little bit over a month, uh-huh. maybe. But you are and through it, 45 it, episodes already, so you I are am, plowing through. I yep. I am. I am. And I've, I mean, I've learned and drawn strengths from each one I've listened thus far. So, yes. I'd like to so, thank you for doing this for us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. I it is nice to get some encouragement encouragement from people certainly to know that yeah. you know, I'm making a difference here at least a yeah. little bit, right? That's you what you want to do. Are. If you can you make a difference are. just a little bit in mm-hmm. the world. So yeah. why don't you start out just by talking to us about your daughter Taylor? Taylor was a sweet, sweet, sweet soul. She was prayed for, um, before she even was here. She was an IVF, um, uh-huh. baby set of twins. She was yeah. twin A, the firstborn. I had them at 26 weeks. So she was a fighter in the NICU. Both girls actually came home on the same day. Oh, um, wow. Taylor was I know Taylor was one pound, one ounce. So she was teeny, teeny, tiny, very underweight, but a fighter from birth. We overcame a lot of obstacles. She came home with NG tube. She had some swallowing issues and we did feeding pumps and we overcame lots of therapy, things like that. But she was able to catch up to all of her milestones. So we started kindergarten in general education. 
words can't even describe how wonderful Taylor is. She was my best friend, such a sweet, sweet soul. She never met a stranger. That kid could compliment a stranger with just, I like your hair and just so genuine, love to read books, but best board game player. I mean, she could kill you at Connect Four. Um, (laughs) She was... You're my second one of those, you know. Oh, yes. I I have another one who, little boy, Luke, who used to, I guess, college students would come over and he'd be like five Uh years old and he could beat them. Uh So now I'm thinking Taylor and Taylor versus Luke. Mm -hmm. Maybe Taylor versus Luke is happening in heaven. Who knows? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) She was a big wrestling fan. So that was the thing that her and her father had in common. And I did think of Andy when I started listening to your podcast, because she was very kind of shy, even though she had never met a stranger, but had a little anxiety. So we actually with COVID-19, when we had to make the decision of homeschool or in school, just because when the virus was so new, we didn't know. Yeah, we kept both girls home and she developed even more anxiety. So we had her in therapy and everything for that, for her anxiety. And she had to, did have ADHD, but such a sweet, sweet soul. She was a great big sister to her twin who has autism and it's pretty severe. She's semi-verbal in the point where she loves to request her needs. And that's probably, probably all that you'll get from her, but they had their special little relationship. Yeah. And was just a big helper to us. She would help get her baths, you know, while we were at work. Just such a, like a little mama to her. So such a good kid. I mean, never got in trouble at school. She always got, uh, you know, awards for the star award or the teachers giving her candy because she was like the one that would go to school, keep her head down and do her job. And Mm -hmm. they were so thankful just to have a little bright light that comes in and gives fist bumps in the morning or a little compliment. But I mean, she was such a hard worker and a big people pleaser. Like I can't even remember having to discipline that child just because she wanted to make sure she pleased you and that you were happy with her and proud of her. She would always say, mom, are you proud of me? And so such a good kid. Yeah. Such a good kid. Yeah. And it does sound like an amazing sister. Oh, such a good sister. She was so protective of her sister. And it is like she could have the opportunity to sit with her friends at lunch during school, but she chose to always sit with the special needs children to sit with her sister every lunch. Uh And like she was just a protector of her sister, helper. And so, I mean, it was such a blessing just to see their special relationship. And especially because her sister had such struggles Mm -hmm. And could have been really ignored, really, by a sister. Yeah. Especially, Mm -hmm. you know, because she was entering those teen years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and oftentimes that happens anyway. Yeah. And as Mm -hmm. when you look at teens, they so often just want to be just like everyone else. Yeah. Right? You Uh don't want to stand out. You don't want to be different. And she sounds like, Taylor sounds like a kid that didn't mind being a little bit Mm-mm. different and didn't no. mind having a sister who had significant struggles. No, mm-hmm. she did not. It was actually even both girls rode the bus together and Morgan is on a functional act- academic special needs bus and she wanted to ride the bus with her sister. Like she was there, you know, she wanted to make sure Morgan was taken care of. I mean, just yeah. a great kid. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to go on now and talk about what happened with Taylor? Mm -hmm. Because it's quite a complicated little story. 
It really is. Um, I will say that Taylor, the Friday before she got sick, she had had a sore throat and my husband and I were planning on going out of town just for his birthday, taking them to East Texas with, to spend with their grandparents. And so mm -hmm. we took her into the pediatrician just to make sure everybody was all well, you know, before we yeah. went out of town yeah. and yeah. all swabs came back fine. I mean, they were like, I think she, you know, just has allergies. So keep, so keep taking Zyrtec, blah, blah, blah. So we took them. Cause to this Texas. was in April. So that uh -huh, this make, is in April. Right. that would make sense. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And she did have um, asthma. So, you know, just making sure all is well. So we took her, took them both to East Texas to stay with our, my in-laws and weekend went fine. We picked them up on that Monday, which was the 12th. Mm -hmm. No issues. 13th, she went off to school like it was no issues, no problems. 14th, the morning of April 14th, I um, am a nurse. So I went to my normal 7A shift and my husband would get them off to school in the mornings. And so center to school, no issues. Um, and I just happened, I guess around 2.30 that afternoon, I was on a quick break. And so I just happened to check my email for some reason, which I rarely ever do. And there was an email from her English language arts teacher just saying, Taylor's had a really rough day today. Her leg is bothering her. I've offered her to go to the school nurse, but she does not want to, but I, you know, asked her if she needed anything. She said, just let my mom know. And so I just knew my child. My child never yeah. complained. Yeah. Anything. It was kind of like one of those things when I say, Taylor, is so-and-so bothering you? She'd be like, no, mom, like weirdo. Like, right. because I, right. you know, like I'm fine. And so I knew something was wrong. Especially if she told her teacher to tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that mm -hmm. would be, yeah. if the teacher did it, you know, behind her back a little bit, it would have been totally different. Yeah. But, you know, saying, let my mom know. Yeah, just let my mom yeah. know. And so I immediately um, had carpooled because where I work, I'm so blessed in our neighborhood. A lot of my friends are nurses there at the same hospital. And so mm -hmm. we sometimes carpool. And so I immediately called my husband. It was just like, something's wrong with Taylor. And I need, you know, we need to go check on her. And I just had a feeling in my gut. And so when she got home, I FaceTimed her because she had called and said, you know, text me and said, mom, we're home from school. Because she was kind of like our little helper to get her sister yeah. in, latchkey yeah. kids, whatever. And so I FaceTimed her just to kind of see if I could see what had happened. And I could just clearly just hear how much pain she was in. And I was like, baby, did you fall today? And she was like, no. And I, I was like, your leg wasn't bothering you this morning. She was like, no, ma'am, it just started. And so I really couldn't get a good view of how things looked. Mm -hmm. But one of my friends who lives in the neighborhood who happened to be off, I called her and I was like, Hey, can you just go over and lay eyes on Taylor and see what's happening? And I said, I'm on my way, but you know, Dallas traffic at five yeah. o'clock is horrible. So she came and, um, she said to saw, she's like, damn, her leg is pretty swollen. And so she texts me a picture of her leg and I immediately thought it's got to be a blood clot. And yeah. reason being just because she was on birth control, we had put her on birth control to regulate her cycles Yeah. because with her anxiety, we didn't want any accidents at school and her cycles were so irregular, Yeah. but she had been on it for 10 months. You know, it wasn't like yeah. it was something new, but I was like, I mean, that her left leg was so swollen and red. I could just immediately see from the picture. So my husband and I made it home. I immediately... We put her in my car. I took her to a local ER and I guess we made it there maybe about 530 in the afternoon when they checked us in and I I just knew in my gut because it was taking so long for that sauna to take place. And then, you know, mm -hmm. the ultrasound tech was like, any issues with blood clots in the family? So I knew, and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh. And so they diagnosed the blood clot and 
immediately arranged transport for us to go to Children's Medical Center in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And so by the time, you know, our transport takes a while, whatever, I think we made it to Children's around 11 o'clock at night. They got mm-hmm. us checked into the hospital, immediately started an IV, and they started us on Lobinox. And so, you know, the plan was just kind of to see if we could prevent things from developing or whatever. And over the next day or two, that was the plan. And then I'll say, I guess it was on that Friday, her leg just started swelling even more so. Mm-hmm. And her pain was increased. And I'm, I mean, this child is to the point from having to get Tylenol to getting like Dilaudid for pain. Yeah. Wow. And it wasn't touching her pain at all. And so the physicians kind of talked with me and they were like, you know, I think that we may need to, you know, they did more imaging. It was like this, it's pretty, pretty severe size clot. We may need to go in and do surgical intervention. And so at that point I was like, okay, well, let's get yeah, this. Is let's go. Let's feel, fix it. Was, let's do it. Right. And I was so blessed. My husband had to be here with our other daughter. So I had my, my village, my feathers is what we call ourselves. And they came and, you know, just sat with me in the hospital and one of my best friends, I had been at the hospital since Wednesday. And, you know, I, when I took her, I was in my scrub, still tired, no bag. And so she was like, they had told us that the surgery would be sometime Friday, but they had to fit us in. And so right. they were like, we don't know exactly what time. And so my friend was like, won't you go home and just take a shower? Because, you know, she's like, just take a shower, grab a bag. And I was like, okay, because we still didn't know what time. And I left the hospital got here, packed the bag. And on my way back, I'd say I was probably 20 minutes out and the surgeon called and they were like, we're here, you know, and I could just, I knew how much pain she was in. He was like, you know, we can wait until you get here before we do anything or I can consent you on the phone. I was like, you know what? I'm 10, 15 minutes out now. Let's go ahead and just consent. Cause I was like, my child is hurting. I had never right. seen her in so much pain and felt like that was the best for her. I did the verbal consent and I made it to the hospital before they took her back, but they had just pushed like her Versed. So she was kind of, you know, a little loopy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just told her I loved her and they took her into surgery. And so at that time it was just myself and one of my best friends. So we went back up to our regular room, you know, cause they said, we'll keep you updated. That'll be the best place for you to hang out. So we went back to the room and hung out and they called us to let us know surgery had started and all was well. And then probably an hour into it, they called and said, we found a blood clot in her lungs. And so we're going to go in and try to get it. And so we were like, we set up and we're like, okay, well, how is she? Should we be concerned? I was like, it's okay. Right now she's stable and everything's going well. So we'll keep you posted. And so we were like, because oh, they didn't have know? any suspicion for a blood clot in her lung before. Nope. Right. So, <laughs> so she's somehow through the clot in that, in, in that process, right. In a short amount of time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so the next call we got was, Miss George, we need to start tailoring ECMO. She has, have, she's having trouble breathing. And this is what we need to save her life. Where are you? We need to come and consent you. And so I'm like, we're in a room or whatever. And so we're sending someone to get you. And so we're like, oh my gosh. Right. And they came to get us and they took us down to the ICU where she was. Sorry. No, that's okay. <sighs> this is so big. Right. They had already put her in ECMO because they were like, sorry, we just had to do it to save her life. And so they said that they had coded her for about a five by five minutes and that they were able to get her back. One part of the story was the anesthesiologist who was doing the case, mm-hmm. just there was one who was like 
overall anesthesia. Like he was also a pediatric surgeon and he just happened to, he was cross-training in anesthesiology and he just happened to wander into the OR wow. while her surgery was going on. And he picked up on her vital signs that she was throwing a clot. And so he was like the one who laid the code on her and he yeah. wasn't even supposed to be there that day. And so they were able to get her back. They started on ECMO. She was stable. And so they, you know, of course they said next 24 hours will be, she'll be critical and we'll just have to see how she was doing. And so they let us see her and, you know, we were so devastated. Right. A lot of my friends showed up there and my clinical manager, my job showed up because it was just so, oh my gosh, out of the blue. Right. And you know that a clot is bad in the leg, but you don't yeah. think. No. When you're putting her no. back for to do surgery on her leg, that this could happen, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that couldn't have been in your mind. It wouldn't have been in my mind. No, because she, you know, besides asthma, you know, she was a healthy 13-year-old. Yeah. Right. And she did well for the, you know, first 24 hours. I mean, to the point where she was on the lowest setting of the ECMO. Yeah. And they were like, you know, the ECMO tech was like, I don't even think she needs this. She's been doing so great. Her neuro checks were great. I walked, you know, was there that morning and her nurse, because one of my best friends, no, my husband stayed that night with her and one of my best friends stayed and they were like, you know, the nurse walked in and was like, Taylor, can you give me a thumbs up? She gave a thumbs up. Like, really? She was okay. So yeah, her neuro checks were great. You know, she could respond if she was having pain, raise her arm and things like that. So the two days following, she was doing great where we were so hopeful that, you know, mm -hmm. all right, we're going to do the ECMO trial and be able to take her off. So the morning of the ECMO trial, one of the ICU physicians was in there and they were getting everything ready for the trial. And she did her neuro exam and noticed that one of her pupils was not reactive. And so I was, I had spent the night with her that night. And so I just immediately could pick up that something was not right, you know, and yeah, yeah. I said, are you seeing a change in her neuro exam? And that physician, I could tell that, and, and this is one thing that I've learned from your podcast is sometimes some of the medical professionals aren't able to communicate with families. And, yeah. and I'm one that I want to know what's happening. Don't blow me off. Well, and the other thing is you're a nurse. I mean, right. That's, right. You that's know, you're a huge difference, know. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not every mom would say, are you seeing changes in her neuro exam? They wouldn't word right. it like that, right? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And they, and this doctor's going to know that when he or she says one of the pupils is no longer reactive, you're going to know exactly what that yeah. means. Yeah. Unlike mm -hmm. somebody else that you might be able to kind of get yourself a little more time. Right. You know, being straight with you mm -hmm. is, is tougher, honestly, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. She said, well, you know, her left pupil's not as reactive. And so I was like, oh gosh. And so they were like, well, we're going to take her down for a CT scan and just see. And first they thought, you know, maybe it was all the sedation she was on. So they were yeah. weaning down sedation, well, yeah, okay. and, but nothing, nothing, you know, was changing. So they took her down for her CT scan, which shows she did have a pretty severe brain bleed. So they called neuro in to see if it, you know, they thought they could do, you know, operate on it. He felt like he was, you know, pretty confident that he could. And so we were like, okay, well, let's, let's do it. Yeah. So they prepped her for her craniotomy that day, took her down and surgery probably lasted maybe three hours. And I guess I was just so, I don't know, just like, let's get it done, you know, and yeah, whatever. And so for sure, when they told us surgery was over. They called us in the, you know, consultation room and 
he explained when they put the monitor in her pressure in her brain was like at 53 and I think normal is like a below 15 or something yeah. like that and yeah so that's what I was thinking as soon as they relieved the pressure, they said it went went down to like eight. And I was like, oh, good. Okay. 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 But then they said, as soon as they closed her skin, it went back up. And I was like, oh, and so he was like, so it's just going to be the next 24 to 48 hours will be crucial to know. Yeah. We're hoping that her brain can just rest and swelling, you know, can eventually go down. And, and so I was like, okay, and can we see her? And he was like, absolutely. So they took us in to see her and I was just so taken back because my child had long, beautiful hair. So to see my child, and then I, I don't know why, you know, I'm a nurse. I know that her yeah. hair is gone, but she was so swollen, looked like such a different child. So it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is happening, you know? And she was, you know, before we even, I say it was probably two hours after we were still just kind of processing everything and they were very mm -hmm. kind at the hospital. They had let us just keep that little consultation room for my mm -hmm. family to camp on in. And probably two hours later, the, one of the fellows came in and said, I just, you know, I've been told because palliative care had come in and just, you know, it was like, yeah. And at first I was very like, why are you here? You know, right. I don't want to talk to care because I know what that means and they were so great and so nice and just like what do you need from us and you know I did share that I want to know if you see things I want to know I know some parents are if it's not happening don't tell me that you think this may happen you know if you see one sign and I want to know when it happens and for me I you know if you're seeing changes I want to just because I like to be able to kind of mentally prepare myself right so he came in he's like I've been told that you like to know when things are happening and so I'm just gonna let you know that that pupil is blown to me and so by that point because we had been several days in and I was just exhausted I hadn't really slept with while that week we were there I took one day away and let my husband stay and so one of my very best friends was you know she's like I will stay with her she's like y'all need to go get rest and I said okay and so my husband we left my husband's car there and my husband and I came home to rest I mean I didn't get much sleep but you know no, what we could sure get not. I woke up I guess around six o'clock that morning and I and my friend this day was a nurse too and so I texted her and I said how is she and she said, the nurses have been busy with her all night. She's had three nurses at her bedside all night. She said her urine is pretty much blood. I just knew, you know, I didn't have a good feeling about it. And so I was kind of mentally preparing myself. And you know, if you've got three nurses for one patient, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. things really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, as you talk about this story, it's just, I so often see this. I mean, I, I think about this in that, like one thing goes wrong and then you do that and then it's the next thing and then it's the next thing. And it uh -huh. seems like it's a lot of little things and like, okay, we can fix this. Okay, we can fix this. Okay, we can fix this. But now you're like four steps down the road and you realize yeah. how far now have we come from a sore leg a week ago, right? Right, right. It just all happens gradually. I mean, although very mm -hmm. quickly, but still in some ways yeah. gradually because it's one thing after another. You didn't go from, you know, a sore leg to a blown pupil and blood right. in the urine and all right. of this. It was right. this incremental right. kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was the fact that she was doing well. Right. And then she wasn't. Right. You know? Right. And my friend also told me, she's like, they want to talk to you, but they are thinking she started clotting off the ECMO machine. Okay. And so they were, you know, wanting to speak to us, you know, because they were going to have to switch the machine out. 
I mean, it's such a balance, right? So when you're on, a, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really explain this, but to people that don't know what an ECMO machine is, so the ECMO machine works as your heart and your lungs. So it's doing all the work of both things. And when you're on a machine like that, you really want to make sure they're not clotting. And so you have to make sure that the, that's not going to happen. But a risk for that when you have to keep the blood so it can't clot is that then you can have bleeds, you know, in mm -hmm. the head. So, which is what ended yep. up happening. So, and then mm -hmm. now that she has a bleed in the head, I'm sure they're like, okay, we can't, have the medication and, up yeah. as high as yeah. we should for the mm -hmm. ECMO machine mm -hmm. because we don't want her bleeding anymore. So they turn that medication down, but now she's at risk of clotting in the machine again. Right. So it's this balance right. of what you need to do. And I, I need to back up. I forgot to tell you that in one of her CT scans, mm -hmm. they found that she had Maytherner syndrome. Okay. I'm not familiar with that. So it's iliac vein compression syndrome. Okay. So it's when left iliac vein is compressed by the right iliac vein and they pretty much cause compression and that slowing of the blood, blood flow would, can build up clot. Okay. So that would be so why that, this happened maybe originally. Mm -hmm. I mean, the blood birth control pills could have certainly had something to do with right. it, but in a young teenage girl, you usually don't right. think twice about them getting blood clots. Right. Uh-huh. So they found that. And so we were trying to wait for my husband's parents to get in from East Texas just because within that week of time, we had had so many of my great friends here to help with our daughter with autism. But yeah. that was also kind of hard for her because these are not her normal people, right. you know? Right. And so we were trying to keep her with as much of a stable routine as possible. And so my husband was trying to wait for his parents to come. So my best friend took me to the hospital. But when I walked in and they were like, is your husband with you? I knew I was like, he needs to get here. Yeah. And so we had a friend come over and stay with my daughter and someone brought my husband to the hospital. The doctor talked to us and, you know, she just said, Taylor's had a hard night. She's yeah. very sick. And so they just explained everything to us. And they said, we can definitely try to switch the ECMO machine, but her swelling in her, in her brain is pretty significant. And now we're seeing slower reactivity with our other people. Yeah. We had to make the hard decision to withdraw care, which is something no parent, you know, no. would no. want to have to do. But I just couldn't see having her, that would, that would not be fair to have her go on for days and days. And even if God willing something happened, you know, she would not have a good quality of life. No. And that was just not fair to her. So we made the decision and the ICU children was great. They allowed all of, my sister was there, my best friend who's and her sister I mean, it was probably eight of us nine of us there and they let us do foot moles and yeah. they let us pray her into heaven and you know just have our goodbyes and i'm so thankful for my friends that were there with me because it was definitely like an out-of-body experience yeah. you know for me i think so to have someone in the background doing the you know the thinking of the things that you couldn't think of at that time. Mm -hmm. One of my friends got her fingerprint and they got me a little necklace made, yeah. at, you know, after she passed. Have I have little, And I know you have one. Yeah, I have one for Andy. <laughs> and so just to have people in the background thinking of the things that you couldn't yeah. you know, think of. Yeah. But we just prayed over her and my child loved Kids Bop. 
even though she was 13, she still was so young at heart or yeah. whatever. And so we played her favorite little songs. And when she passed, it was just my husband and my sister in there. And they clamped the ECMO machine. Of course, the nurse and me, I'm watching the monitor so I could tell, you know, heart rate spiking up, I'm just going to VTAC and then it slowly started trending down. And so I think they kind of realized, oh gosh, let me turn the monitor off. So they turned the monitor off. Right. And I'd say probably two minutes after that, the doctor came in and said, Taylor's heart has stopped beating. I'm going to, you know, listen to um, double check. And she did. And then she told us, you know, I'm sorry, Taylor has passed away. And so that was definitely... I mean, I will say I, you know, I'm still, I'm only 43 years old, but that was definitely one of the hardest things I've experienced thus far. I mean, likely the hardest, right? I mean, I'm sure you can't think of anything worse. So she passed April 23rd and we leaving the hospital was the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And funny because I had to leave the girls when they were preemies. You know, coming home, not being able to take my babies home. And I thought that was the hardest thing. But walking out of that hospital without my child was hard. And But I'm so thankful because my village of friends, they handled everything. They handled coordinating with the chaplain to, you know, have the funeral home come get us. You know, it was so, I'm so blessed that, you know, we just had to, my husband and I just had to show up. You know, they handled the time of the meeting with the funeral home. We literally just had to show up because we, there was no way, you know, at that time we could process doing all those things. No, it is such a blessing to have people just do it for you. I had that. Mm -hmm. I had people just doing it for me because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even do my Mm -hmm. hair. I mean, I was like, I couldn't do anything. I just needed people to be walking me through uh-huh. every single step of the way. And I agree. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, honestly, and this probably also had to do with the fact that we were in a car accident, but was mm-hmm. the next day when we were leaving the hospital to get physically get in the car. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, I remember you saying that it was just so difficult. And I remember just my mind just screaming, no, no, no. Like, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I did not want to go home and see his empty room. I did not want to do that. I just, Mm -hmm. so, so painful. It was so hard. Yeah. I definitely know and feel that it was only the Holy Spirit that carried me through that day. And it just so happened that one of my friends from nursing school, and it shows you how God works. She lost her son, I guess, probably six or seven years ago uh-huh. now. And I remember following her journey as her son died from childhood cancer. And she actually was working the day that Taylor died. She had been on vacation. And so she had messaged me when she, you know, saw my Facebook post that we were in the hospital, asked for prayers. And, you know, she was like, I'm on vacation, but I will be back. I hope to come see you soon. And she had actually just got back from her vacation. And she is actually, she rotates roles, but her role that day was working with palliative care and helping parents who were faced with end of life decisions to make, you know, just help them guide them to the day. So she was actually... That was her assignment that day when Taylor passed. She was there to help oh me walk Lord. walk me through the journey that she had been through. I know. And so she was what such a, a blessing. blessing. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't tell me God wasn't and involved in that no, one, right? I mean, not, you know, yeah. 
the chances and, of that, of it being someone that you knew and trusted and that yeah. you had, that you would know for sure she had gone through that, right? Like yeah, you had yeah. watched her go through it. So you knew I she knew exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she actually reached out. We planned Taylor Pass on April 23rd. We had her service on May 2nd, which was a Monday. And she reached out prior to that Monday which happened to be that Sunday prior, what before the day before her service was bereaved parent Mother's Day. And oh, yeah. she reached out to me on that day and her husband and I, her had bought a vacation home. It happened to be the last place that she had traveled with her son before he passed. And so they loved that time that they had with him. And so they purchased it. And that was their way of using that house to give back to anyone else who had to walk in their shoes. So they offered their home to us to go and just have time after the service to get away. And so after Taylor's service on that Monday, that following Saturday, my um, immediate family and I went down to her beach house and just stayed for four or five days just to... Just to get away. Just to get away. And so I was like, that's totally God that, you know, had her in place that day Yeah. that Taylor passed. And I'll tell you, that child, her service, there were probably 200 people there. Yeah. And it was from her kindergarten teachers mm-hmm. to like all the way up to her seventh grade teachers because she was such a good kid. Yeah. I mean, my work family was such a blessing. So many people attended her service where the night shift nurses on my unit were covering for the day shift staff because mm-hmm. they that's how so much so much support we had. So I was very blessed and so grateful. But it definitely has been life changing to lose a child, obviously, as you know, and just the journey of now helping her sister yeah. cope in her own way. And how has that been? You know with her we didn't take her to the hospital just because she Morgan has such sensory yeah, issues that so the, like it, overwhelming for her so we just had to you know when Taylor was in the hospital we would tell her Taylor was in the hospital and when she passed we you know Taylor Taylor's in heaven and so she would repeat what we said mm-hmm. but we didn't know what she knew but yeah. now that Taylor has been gone for the funeral service, we did a slideshow. One of my best friends put together a slideshow and the first song on it was Life is a Highway mm-hmm. that they play on car. Yeah. And so we played that slideshow before our before our service for our family while they were here, just because we knew that they wouldn't see it. It would play before the service mm-hmm. started. And so we played that here and she came out of her room and she stared at the screen and looked at all the pictures and just kind of looked kind of like puzzled. Yeah. And we didn't think anything of it, but now that kid plays that song every day. Really? Every day. She plays that song every day. And like when she gets in from school this afternoon, she's going to grab her iPad and she plays that song and just sings it or whatever. And so, you that's know, that's her we'll way, say, isn't you know, it? That's her that's way. That's her way of yeah. thinking about her sister. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, you know, donate a lot of Taylor's books to her school and a lot of her stuffed animals. You know, Morgan was is big on stuffed animals, so I gave her the stuffed animals. And we've noticed that the way Taylor had the stuffed animals in her room is how Morgan has them in her room. Yeah. So I definitely think that it's how she is feeling connected to her sister. Yeah. We talked, too, about the fact that you lost your mother only three mm-hmm. months before Taylor died. 
Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and yeah. and how that kind of impacts you impacted you a little? My mom passed January 4th of this year. She had been on hospice. So we were, you know, mentally prepared. Yeah. She was 77 years old. But, you know, we would be getting to that place. She had lung failure and it was to the point where she would have to be on like a BiPAP 24 hours a day. Yeah. And being in and a hospital, she's like, I don't want to live that life. I want to enjoy the time I have now. So we knew, you know, that yeah. she would even you know this was not going to end the way we would hope. And that was her decision to make. And so she passed. And one funny thing that I'll share, not funny, but it just shows to me, it was a sign before my mom passed in the nursing home. She, with me being up here in Dallas, my sister was in East Texas with her. And one day my sister went to go visit her. And when they're on hospital, you know, some days they're just sleeping all day, not Mm -hmm. eating. And one day my sister went to go see her and she was like, who is this person? Cause she was, you know, alert. And I guess this is that burst of energy oh, yeah, they have. Yeah. Right before. Uh-huh. And she told my sister, you know, just going through, you know, are you going to be okay when I pass? And I was like, mom, we'll be fine. You know, we want you to be at peace and this is your decision. And she told her, she said, Yolanda, Jamesia is going to need you. And she told her, she said, well, mama, I got her. I got the whole family. And she said, no, do you hear me? Jamesia will need you. And she was like, okay. And then later on that day, she was say, Yolanda, do you see that little pretty girl running down the hallway with that long, pretty hair standing up there? She's had this bright light right there by her. My sister was like, uh, no, I don't. You know, like, yeah. I don't see anything. And so looking back, we wonder, was that God showing my mom yeah. that Taylor would be with her? I don't, I don't know. But it's just so, I remember my sister and I having these conversations before Taylor passed. Yeah. You know, and couldn't make sense of everything. And then it makes a little more sense afterwards, doesn't it? Makes it makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I was actually, it's crazy how God works. Taylor, we had had her in therapy just for her anxiety. And she had just progressed to not needing therapy mm-hmm. as often. because She was doing so great, but I was struggling from the loss of my mom. Yeah. And so therapist was so great with her. And I'm like, well, I'll take her slot. Yeah. Because I was really struggling with the grief of my mom, just being up here and having a family and kids. It, the weight fell on my sister with her being single and right in the area with my mom. And so I just had a lot of guilt about that and things to work through. So I took over Taylor's uh, therapy sessions. When Taylor passed the day after Taylor's service, I was having my very first therapy session to deal with the grief of my mom. Oh my word. And so now I had to have the therapy of my child and I kept that therapy session. Her service was on that Monday and I still had family in from out of town, but I was like, I'm going to therapy because I need this. And so I've still been going every two weeks. Her therapist was awesome. And it's been great because she knows Taylor as the child she was and Mm -hmm. me as her mom. And so it's just been so helpful to kind of process all of the things. Yeah. I mean, talk um, about having a tribe kind of helping you. You know, Andy died on yeah. a Wednesday night. And Thursday, our uh, we have a special needs care coordinator in our office. Mm-hmm. And she found therapists and therapy appointments for every single person in my family for Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was like, yeah. it was before the funeral. Like, 
Okay, so Peter's therapy is his. Catherine's therapy is here. Mm-hmm. You and Eric are going here. And then Valeriano, our foster son, she even made one for him, although he refused to go. Like, she, I think people are at such a loss on, like, I don't know what to do. And she, of course, she's a coordinator. Like, that's what she does yeah. is coordinate services. Mm-hmm. So she decided, I'm way. coordinating all of this <laughs> therapy for the entire family. Uh-huh. Which, uh-huh. you know, it, it in some ways it was a little too early because we were just yeah. all so much in shock, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, I already struggle with depression and anxiety. And so like I was, I would always say, oh, but that poor Taylor, she got it from her mom, you know, whatever, yeah. but with her anxiety, whatever. Yeah. So I knew for me, I was like, I need to keep this has happened for a reason. This lined oh, up for a sure. reason. I need to keep this. Well, and the nice and thing is, so- is you actually had a relationship with her. So even though it was your first yeah. session, I mean, Taylor had seen her for a long time. Plus, what a beautiful thing to see someone who knew Taylor. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, think about all the therapists my family saw. Nobody knew Andy. Nobody did. Mm -hmm. So to have that, that she actually knew her and her personality Mm -hmm. and the little things that you were going to miss, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. what a blessing. Right? Mm -hmm. She, it was awesome because when Taylor had her therapy, my husband works a weird, like three to 11 schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I would always, with Morgan, she was kind of difficult to kind of sit and wait for the hour session. So thankfully the therapist is like 10 minutes from the house. So I would take Taylor and check her in. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to be back at this time. And so I would bring Morgan home, give her a bath, get her fed or whatever, and then go back and get Taylor. So she knew me as Taylor's mom. And yeah. so, you know, mm-hmm. and Morgan's mom. So that has been for her to when I go through those moments of questioning every single thing, like, did I get her to the hospital at a time, you know, in time, or did I give her enough time? Like all those things I'm questioning sometimes. Yeah. She, Which we all do. Me. I mean, I can tell you mm-hmm. that you didn't. And I mean, that you did great and you did everything as you were supposed to. And you know that in your head, but yeah. you still mm-hmm. question it, right? You still do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle with it to this day of, just all the things of me leaving, you know, the hospital and not making it back before they gave her the verse. Like all those little things. And I know that's just me processing my grief. Right. Um, and it's one so, of those things too, though, that that honestly, I'm sure it wouldn't have made a bit of difference, right? A half an hour mm-hmm. or whatever. So if you would have said, no, I need you to wait until I get back. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And they would have waited and she would have had the same outcome. Then what would you be saying to yourself? You'd be saying, right. why did I make them wait? If I wouldn't have yeah. made them wait, she wouldn't have thrown the clot. She wouldn't have whatever, yeah. right? So it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you put yourself in a no-win situation. You right. beat yourself yeah. up over every mm-hmm. everything, even knowing like had I made the opposite decision, I would be kicking myself for that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the things we do as moms. You yeah. know, it's just, you know, I remember on one of your podcasts, someone said like who's who's protect like who's watching my child now who's mothering them you know mm-hmm. and like that was a thing and I'm like I know Taylor you know I'm a firm believer so I feel like she's in heaven mm-hmm. you know that she ran into Jesus's arms you know but sometimes I'm like is she okay you know like yeah. I'm like I know she's okay right you know? right and, right and I do too you know, and, but yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh 
Mm-hmm. And I remember asking my sister, I was like, I wonder if she misses us. You know, she's like, there's no sorrow in heaven, you know, and it's just like all those little. Which which doesn't seem to make sense in some ways, right? Because mm-hmm. I think, oh, mm-hmm. Andy was such a mama's boy. I mean, just yeah. unbelievable mama's boy. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine him not being sad and missing me with just what a mama's yeah. boy he was. Right. Right. And Taylor was like your best friend. So like you think she's got to be sad and missing me. Just Yeah. It's because Marcy, I would come in from work and she, I would feed her dinner and she'd just be staring at me. And I'm like, why are you staring at me? And she's like, mom, I just love you. I just love looking at you, you know, and, or in like at nighttime, our bedtime routine was she'd come give me a hug and she would not let go until I would say, get off. That was our thing. Like she would hug me. I mean, and just love was not one of the kids that were oh my gosh I don't want to give my mom a yeah. hug or kiss like very affectionate my so, my Andy was 14 years old and he still would want to cuddle with his mama yeah and we would yeah, still do this thing too he was you know he was still always little but he loved it if he would lay between my husband and I and then my husband and I would hug and we'd make an Andy sandwich so Andy was between us. Mm-hmm. And we'd like squish him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, here's yeah. our Andy sandwich. We didn't do that with the other two kids. The other two kids would be like weirdo, mom and dad, right. you know. <laughs> but Andy yeah. loved it. And he loved cuddling. And I remember thinking to myself, man, he's 14. One of these days, he's just going to decide this is stupid. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But in some ways, I feel like God knew that he yeah. wasn't going to be around And so he let him have that desire the whole time, like far past what his younger brother ever did or his older sister Mm -hmm. ever did, just because, you know, God knew. And like, let's just give her that. Let's just give her that little gift and let him Mm -hmm. in many ways stay a little boy and not be as grown up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I remember, I sometimes can remember myself saying it work like someone's talking about their child is the same age I'm like oh my gosh my baby's still playing with like stuffed animals you know right. like the same age and I remember my co-worker saying let that baby be a baby and I'm like you're right and I'm so like looking back now aren't you I'm so glad cheap. you did oh so glad I mean pure heart and I remember um when we were planning her service one of the ministers came over and we were just talking about Taylor and I would just talk about how great of a kid she was and you know, like I had a teacher that emailed me just saying that after Taylor passed, she would sit in her chair every day because that made her feel connected to her because she missed her so much. And she was like, did you ever think that she was like a super, like almost like an angel here on earth? And after she said that, my husband and I both just looked at each other and was like, oh my God, because she was so pure at heart. Yeah. So in it. I've had people say the same thing to me about Andy. Mm -hmm. Because he never mm-hmm. really was like a normal kid in a lot of ways. He was yeah. just mm-hmm. really pretty sweet kid and pretty forgiving and yeah. never held a grudge and yeah. that kind of stuff. And just just not like a normal kid. He just no. never yeah. was. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah that other people have said to me kind of those type of things. And I was like, man, he was a, he was a brat at times, too. So, no, yeah. he wasn't an yeah. angel. But yet you see a little bit of that and I do feel like that was a little gift that I got from God right Mm -hmm. because gosh I've talked to families and seen families who aren't getting along with their kids so great at that time right Right. and something happens and they die and they Mm -hmm. had been in conflict and yeah I do feel blessed that I never had Mm -hmm. that with Andy right 
I agree. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I am so thankful that, you know, and with Taylor with her anxiety, I would always tell her, God loves you more than me. And I love you so, so much. And I would always tell her that God is just allowing me to be your mommy here, but he is your father. And so when she got sick, I would have to tell myself that, you know, that he's in control. He belongs to him. And so that is what gets me through is that, you know, he gave me 13 years with her, but she belonged to him, you know, and he could have chosen to, if he wanted to, he could have chosen to make Taylor better, but it was her time. He wanted her with him, you know? And so I just, I've definitely not that God caused Taylor's death to bring me closer to him, but I do feel as a result that this is what happened. I've always been a Christian, but I feel like my relationship was not a deep Mm -hmm. one, an intimate one. And well, now you you know know, your baby's there. I mean, that's, it it does make things different, right? Yeah. It makes a difference. So for me, that is what has gotten me through is just knowing that I'll see her again in heaven, you know, and she's not in any pain and, I will see her again. You know, that gives me strength to go through, but I will not lie and say some days are so hard. Right. Um, and and it's, and it's wonderful that you can say that today, mm-hmm. that you feel like mm-hmm. you're closer and things like that. And, and I will be the first to tell you every day is not going to feel that way because there are going right. to be days right. that will come and like, nope, I'm just going to be mad today. And, yeah. but knowing that that's okay too, okay. that that's okay mm-hmm. too. It's funny. And I love I what you said it. about those words that you said to Taylor now having to say those to yourself, because mm-hmm. I feel that I same way with Andy. I, you know, th- the Bible verse that I always said with Andy was be still and know that I am God. Oh, mm-hmm. We used to say that over mm-hmm. and over and over again, whenever he felt anxious, be still and know that I am God. And I find myself now, I have to say that to me. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that I, I mean, that those are the words that I said to him. So I have mm-hmm. to be able to claim them for myself right. when I had him claim them for himself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like practice, practice what you preach. <laughs> practice what you preach. Exactly. So I have my bracelet, <laughs> my pistol bracelet that I wear uh-huh. all the time. And maybe someday I'll have the guts to put the pistol tattoo on that I was going to do that I haven't, mm-hmm. haven't done yet. But <laughs> we'll see if that ever happens. I don't know. Oh, It and- is definitely a journey just, you know, cause two weeks ago we were getting ready for school to start back up and I was not in a good place. I mean, I was just, you know, how grief you can be here and there. And I yeah. was sad every day. I was angry. I felt like this is not fair, but I was like, God can handle it. You know, like yeah. he still yeah. loves some days when I am at perfect peace and days when I feel like this is just so unfair, you yeah. know? And that's so, so comforting to know that. I mean, I love that because that's the last thing I need is to feel guilty mm-hmm. that I'm not being a good Christian. Right. Like that, exactly. that makes yeah. things so much worse. And so that's what mm-hmm. I have to keep telling myself and hoping that other people don't say that to me because then I just get mad at them. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't be yeah. sad. Andy's in heaven. Like, I know right. Andy's in heaven, but I'm still sad. But I can still be sad. Right. right. Yep. And I think definitely from your podcast, you know, some of the things you say is how you don't want anyone to forget his name. Yeah. And say Andy's name. That has been my biggest concern. Just have people who 
now they some the majority of people have been great and yeah. stood by me but i've had a few people who if they see me they run the other way because yeah. they just don't know what to say and that makes me sad yeah but then i have to think about it that that's not me that's on them you know right. and right you it's know, something that they just can't deal I, with Right. Which is understandable, right? I mean, it's so understandable. I I wish I could not deal with it. I wish I could. Yeah, right. Didn't have to. Yeah. And and they kind of have the choice, right? They have the choice mm -hmm. to talk to you and interact with you or not. And we just don't have that choice. We have to live it every day and every second of every day. And I've been off work. Like I haven't been back to work since before she was sick, just being a labor and delivery nurse, you know, it's just kind of hard hard. to be able to process it all. And it may change the way that I am with my patients. You know, when I had my girls as preemies, it totally changed the way I could relate to my moms who were having premature babies. Unfortunately, labor and delivery is not always happy. We do have those, you know, moms who have losses. So it may be perfectly fine and I will be able to be a better nurse and be able to relate to them. I don't know. Yeah. And I think it will only be one of those things I know when I test the waters. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think very likely it will make you better. Yeah. But it's hard to think about that right away. I remember mm-hmm. at the visitation before Andy's funeral, a pediatrician came up to me and just kind of hugged me. And I, I remember saying to him, he's, he's not in my practice, he's, but uh-huh. he's an older pediatrician. He's, he's retired now even. I said to him, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't mm-hmm. think I can be a pediatrician anymore. And he said, you can and you will because it's who you mm-hmm. are. And you'll do it better than mm-hmm. you ever did it before. Mm-hmm. And it took me a year. Yeah. I mean, I tried and I failed. I was miserable at the beginning. But a year later, I went back. And you know what? He's right. I am better than I ever was before. Now, it looks different and things look different. And for you, it mm-hmm. may not look the same. I mean, it's hard to know. Yeah. But overall, I feel like every person that I've talked to, although all moms would exchange anything to get their kid back but I think all of us feel like when you're down the road a ways that you're actually a more compassionate person than you were yeah beforehand Mm -hmm. and that you feel that more for people Mm -hmm. yeah and I definitely I totally agree while we were in the hospital with Taylor there was another family who was there with their son and they had been there a week before we were there but we you know being, you know, in the ICU became acquainted and my family and friends became acquainted with them. And unfortunately their son passed. Yeah. And when my daughter passed, the dad showed up and we had just known each other a little over a week. He showed up to Taylor's funeral. And that meant so much to me that these people who didn't really know me sent flowers and showed up to the funeral. And so when their son passed, a couple of my friends attended the service because I was like, it just showed me like, when people show up for you, how much that meant. Yeah. So this has definitely changed, even on this level of just the compassion, you know, to yeah. know how much it means mm-hmm. when people show that compassion yeah. to you. So. And just like you said, just showing up, just showing up, showing up. And just mm-hmm. being there. Mm-hmm. It's just so And huge. sometimes you don't even have to say anything, you know, just the presence of being there, you know, is just mm-hmm. sometimes all you need just to sit with me. You yeah, know? right, right. Don't say anything. You know, it's funny Mm -hmm. how much I learned that because just this last Thanksgiving, my foster son, Valeriano's mother died in Guatemala and he just found out 
with a phone call that she had died. And he's kind of a closed off kid. He's, you know, not probably the healthiest emotionally just because of his background and baggage and things like that. But I remember going downstairs and, you know, Sandy, you want to talk? And he said, no. And I just said, do you mind if I just sit here? We don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. And I just sat there. Yeah. I just sat beside mm-hmm. him. And you knew he didn't want to say anything. He didn't want to talk. He, it was so much going on in his head. But he knew that having me sit there was good. And I knew, having gone through what I went through, that yeah. I just needed to be there. I didn't yeah. need to do a darn thing or say a darn thing because nothing I said was going to make it better. Right. But yeah. just yeah. being there and being present was enough. Mm-hmm for him at that moment and it's and it's not what I would have done you know I've lost my mom but it's still not what I would have done right before losing Andy, Andy. it's changed mm-hmm. my whole perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember the night that Taylor coded and the chaplain from the hospital came in and she just sat beside me and she rested her hand on my back and she never said a word yeah and I think she probably just rested her hand on my back for about two minutes. And that was just so calming to me. Yeah. Because she didn't, you know, she, you know, there was nothing she could say to change what was happening. No. But that just really showed just the impact of just sitting with someone. Yeah. I'm present. I'm so, here with you. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. Now things are kind of looking kind of different. We, you know, it's just still so strange well yeah you're four months in i mean it's still so quiet Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out you know me uh going back to work my husband went back probably three weeks after she passed Mm -hmm. because that's what he felt needed to do obviously with me being labor and delivery and my job has allowed me to come up one day and just put scrubs on and just sit in the environment i didn't go in a delivery or anything like that but just sit in the environment and it was very nice um but it just made, when I left, it was just like, gosh, the last time I was here in Scrubs, she was a lot. Like all those things yeah. played in my head. This life look, is going to look so different. My job has been great. My clinical manager's like, you can just, you know, take the time you need. But financially, it's kind of like, we've got to make some decisions. I was yeah. so blessed the community did garage sales. They did a GoFundMe. But, you know, medical bills are crazy. Yeah. So we're just, you know, trying to see when I'll go back to work. But I've used that time just to kind of try to heal. And I did, even though I'm so early, I'm kind of one of those doers. And Uh, so Mm -hmm. me too. as as of last week, my husband and I was able to start a foundation. Wow. We started Mayflowers or May Thurners, Mayflowers, the Taylor George Foundation, you know, April showers, Mayflowers. Mm -hmm. And so just hoping to provide, you know, awareness about Maytherner syndrome and just hopefully seeing if, you know, maybe prior to, because I really feel like I've recently been diagnosed with the underlying blood clotting disorder. So it just makes me wonder, did Taylor have an underlying disorder that we didn't know about mm-hmm. prior to her being put on birth control? So just trying to see, you know, maybe we can put some kind of testing in place before females are prescribed oral contraceptives or, you know, and she was an avid reader. So just trying to do like, pop-up libraries and just things that kind of honor her yeah because I do want to keep her memory alive you know she was such a good kid and so that is kind of where I'm focusing my energy Mm -hmm. and and it is nice to have somewhere to focus your energy a little bit it's like somewhere to some Mm -hmm. to do something with your grief right yeah because Mm -hmm. it's it's hard when your grief has nowhere to go so if you can Mm -hmm. 
find a little bit of purpose for it. And it can yeah. be big or little. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. But it is really helpful to have some kind of purpose for it a little bit. And it can take a long time to find that. You found it kind of quickly, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just, you know, I think about you when you say that you doing your podcast is like you, be, you know, you, with Andy, you're doing it with Andy. I'm doing know, it with and, Andy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just definitely losing a child I'm thankful even though I hate we're all in this club yeah you know I'm thankful that there are people like you that we can draw strength from each other Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well thank you so much for sharing Taylor with us today I mean what a bright light welcome what a light yeah Yeah. it was a great kid thanks for listening If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.